Thank you, Evan. Oh, my goodness. Hey, that card you're filling out right now, uh, I really do want you to fill out just the white section and then stop. Before you fill out the rest of it, um, I've got the rest of the sermon. I want to talk you into filling out the rest of that well. And uh, we'll do that at the end of my message. Because welcome to the very first week of a brand new series. We're calling this Huddle Up. And uh, we're going to talk about it this week and next week as well. Actually, next week, don't miss next week. Uh, Jake Smith, one of our student ministry pastors, is going to be preaching. And so you don't want to miss out that opportunity. So huddle up. I bet you know exactly where I'm going or you think you know where I'm going. Those of you who were a little sporty Spice, any Spice Girls fans from back in the day? Are you willing to admit that in church? Yeah, this isn't so much a sporty spice message. This is actually posh spice. Some of you are like, what in the world? Who is he talking about? Well, uh, today, it's not so much a sports metaphor. Nope. It's more a metaphor that is an enduring metaphor in our culture that comes out of the arts, comes out of a movie. The title of today's message is Together. And oh my goodness. When I think of the value of community, I think of a movie from, oh, about 20, maybe 21 years ago. Does anybody recognize this? You know where I'm going with this, right? How many of you saw the movie Castaway in the theater? I thought this movie was like five years ago, in my mind, until I looked it up, discovered it was the same year my two oldest boys were born. They are now 20 and 21. So the year 2000, Tom Hanks is in the theater just wowing us. I laughed. I'm not ashamed to admit it. I cried as I watched a grown man bond with a volleyball. Listen, in the absence of real, authentic community, you and I are wired in such a way we will, we will create it out of nothing. If you're familiar with that movie, uh, let, let me go ahead and hit a couple of these images. These are quotes. Chuck Nolan is the main character Tom Hanks plays. At the beginning of the movie, he's talking to a stupid volleyball, and he says, there, that's a search area of 5,000 square miles. That's twice the size of Texas. They may never find us. Who's he talking to? Wilson. Next quote. I was going to die there, totally alone. He's talking at the end of the movie. Spoiler alert, it's been 21 years. If you haven't watched it yet, I'm sorry. But he gets discovered. He gets rescued. And at the end of the movie, he's telling a significant other, I was going to die there, totally alone. I was going to get sick or get injured or something. The only choice I had, the only thing I could control was when and how and where it was going to happen. Can you imagine that level of profound loneliness? Do you remember the moment in the movie when Wilson floats away? Oh, I, I cried. I was thinking about it this morning as I was thinking through my message, and I started to get choked up again just thinking about that stupid moment in that movie when Hollywood made me cry. Because in the absence of authentic community, we'll create it. The movie got a little bit funny, really dry humor. I kind of enjoyed this. Check out this quote. He's talking to Wilson. And he says, hey, you want to hear something funny? My dentist's name is James Spaulding. I laughed. I thought that was a funny line. Here's another funny thing. He says, you got to love crab. In the nick of time, too, it couldn't I couldn't take much more of those coconuts. Coconut milk is a natural laxative. There's something, that's something that Gilligan never told us about. 
I was giggling in the movie theater. I was crying in the movie theater. I watched that years ago, and when I watched it, I thought, I'd like to watch this movie together with maybe like a psychologist or a neuroscientist because it's fascinating to me the lengths our brains will go to to fashion community out of nothing, to create a friend when we have none. Also, as I watched it, 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 there was a series of simple truths that emerged on the power of community to shape us and to sustain us. So the rest of our time that we have together today, I just want to share with you, I'm going to share three simple truths today. The first one, if you're taking notes, write this down. The last 18 months have kind of sucker punched us in the gut, right? The last 18 months have been really difficult. I'm sick of a phrase. You just saw it flash up on the screen. Let's put it up again, Kevin. How many of you are sick of this phrase, social distancing? Yeah, me too. Why? Because I wasn't wired for that. I spent some time this past week gathering with a group of pastor friends of mine, and oh my goodness, we laughed, we cried, we did life together. We're not wired for social distancing. The last 18 months have been super difficult. I did a deep dive on this this past uh, couple of weeks, and I want to share some statistics with you today. Let's go ahead and put those up. This comes from the American Perspective Survey by the Survey Center on American Life. Check this out. This last year, 2021, 49% of Americans have three or fewer close friends. Self-reported, yeah. Three or fewer. Let's go back a few years to my sophomore, junior year of high school, 1990. It's not been that long ago. 29, or 49%, then it was only 27%. We're not going in the right direction, right? Let's look at the next stat. In 1990, 33% of Americans had 10 or more close friends. 10 or more. This year? What's the next one? 13%. Again, going the wrong direction, right? Here's a statistic. 3% in 1990, 3% of Americans had no close friends. 3% said, I feel profoundly lonely. How about now? That number has risen to 12%. And I suspect the last 18 months, oh my goodness, it's been a sucker punch in the gut on community, connectedness togetherness. What's the next one? The past 12 months, 47% of people self-report that they've lost touch with a few friends. What's the next one? 9% say they've lost touch with most of their friends. That is a profound problem. And this is exactly why our church calendar from this moment forward, moving forward the rest of the fall, we want to be about the business of fixing that. Problem? Well, you just heard Evan talk about a potential solution. Hang on to that. We'll lean into it. I've got another stat here. This comes from the Wall Street Journal. This is looking at young people. These are my kids, maybe some of yours. Ages 16 to 24, sociologists are calling this Generation Z. Last year, the last 18 months, 35% of this generation reports having used dating apps. I think the fancy one that they were using, I have to look this up, it's called Bumble BFF. Some of you know about this. I don't. It's been a long time since I've been in the dating world. But they were using dating apps to make platonic friends. Not going after a casual hookup or a relationship, 
like a dating, romantic relationship, but using a dating app just to get some friends, to connect, some human connection. You get what this is saying? 27% said they did this because of loneliness during the lockdown. I saw this happening with my own eyes. It's been a tough year and a half. Would you agree? So let's contrast that with how we were wired. There's a 75-year-long study that was, has been done, led by Harvard's Grant and Gluck study. And it's been tracking the physical and the emotional well-being of two different populations. First of all, you've got 456 poor men who have grown up in Boston from, get this, 1939 all the way to 2014. It's a long time. This is the Grant study. It's also a study of 268 male graduates from Harvard's classes of 1939 through 1944, and they've been following these men through their entire lifetime. This is a comprehensive sociological study. It's called the Gluck study. And during this length of research period, my goodness, this has required multiple generations of researchers. And since before World War II, they've been analyzing blood samples. They've been doing brain scans once those became available. They've poured over self-reported surveys as well as actual interactions with these men that I just described to you. And what's the conclusion that they discovered? Well, according to Robert Waldinger, who's the director of the Harvard Study of Adult Development, this is what he said. Check this out. The clearest message that we get from this 75-year study is this. Good relationships keep us happier and healthier, period. Harvard, 75-year-long research study. We're wired for good relationships. In the absence of authentic, healthy relationships, well, we'll create one out of thin air. Here's one. He said, the biggest predictor of your happiness and fulfillment overall in life is basically love. This study maybe preaches my sermon for me. The study demonstrates, check this out, that having somebody to rely on, remember the movie? Helps your nervous system relax. Helps your brain stay healthier for longer. Reduces both emotional as well as physical pain. The data was also very clear. It said that those who feel lonely are more likely to see their physical health decline earlier and even die younger. It's not just the number of friends you have, he said. It's not just whether you're in a committed relationship. It's the quality of your close relationships that matter. Two foundational elements that he talked about were this. One is love. The other is finding a way with coping with life that does not push love away. This will preach during a pandemic season. Right now, we need to lean in. We need to embrace the value of loving, connected relationships. Because no man is an island. We were created for community. At the end of that study, I love this quote, had to pull this straight out says, the good life is built with good relationships. It's not about the car you drive or how many conferences you get invited to speak at or how much money you make. Uh, at the end of the day, it's about the quality of the relationships that you have. And this is how you build good. The Bible, the Bible talks about this. If you study your Bible, King David listed Jonathan closer than a brother, right? 
and a guy named Hushai the Archite, and he listed them as friends. By the way, can you imagine going through middle school with a name like Hushai? Who is he? Oh, he's the Archite. Can you imagine that roll call at the beginning of class every year, that poor kid? Daniel was friends with Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. I suspect they had a similar difficult first day of class. We know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Daniel knew them as his close friends. Job, for better or for worse, he had three friends that the Bible lists. They gave him some bad advice, but he had good friends. The Apostle Paul lists a whole bunch of friends as he's writing these letters to dear people that he loves. Jesus does life together for at least three years, probably longer, with a group of close friends. He had a large circle of friends, and he had a closer circle that he called his disciples. They became apostles. Jesus was also described in our Bible as a friend of tax collectors and a friend of sinners. He modeled relationship well. We're going to step into this this fall here at Venture. You heard Evan teasing it out just a little bit, but my goodness, as you leave today, make sure you grab one of these. We're asking for a suggested donation of five bucks. This is going to be such an important spiritual exercise, especially right now in the life of our church, because we've been through a horrible 18 months. Let's redeem some relationship opportunities, because here's a simple truth. If you're taking notes, write this down. You were made for community. Literally, you were made for and by community. The Bible talks about a triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And if you read the first few verses of your Bible, it's even there in the ancient Hebrew language. The Spirit of God is hovering over the waters. You were made by a triune God in community. And you were made for community. If you feel lonely... Let's fix that. You were designed for community, and you were designed by community for community. First Thessalonians chapter 3, I could go a bunch of places in Scripture, but I would start with First Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 12 to talk about this. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another inside the walls of the church and for all, even those who are not here yet, as we do for you. For the rest of our time together, I want to preach a sermon around one word. Go ahead and turn to your, uh, let's put, take, take the word down, take the word down, take the word down. Turn to your neighbor right now. And, uh, well, we can't do that little exercise, so never mind. I was going to have you guess what word that it was going to be, and then I was going to say gotcha because you don't know this word. It's an ancient Hebrew. Let's go ahead and put it up right now. It's the word hased. Some of you, I'm guessing if you thought, ah, where's he going with this? I bet some of you through a over-spiritualizing lens would have gone. He's going to talk about agape. He's going to talk about this New Testament word for love, agape, Jesus' love for me. Uh-uh. We're going Old Testament. We're going that word in the New Testament comes out of an Old Testament word. It's much older. It's the word hased. It means love, but it means so much more than the way we think about love. This word has everything to do with attachment. It's relational attachment. God has said you and me. God loves us, but it's bonding. It's attachment. It's familial. We want to lean into this value this fall because I don't know about you, but I'm hungry for it. 
I need more of this in my life. Let's look at this word. Uh, if you, uh, actually, before we do that, though, let me share with you the resource that this is coming out of. I read a book a few weeks ago, and this is a great book. I would recommend it to you. It's called The Other Half of Church, subtitled Christian Community, Brain Science. We're going to talk about that today, and Overcoming Spiritual Stagnation. It's a pretty good read. Chapter 4, I was all over that, and a lot of what I'm getting ready to share with you comes out of this particular book. And the author uses Hesed. This Old Testament word for love to describe what neuroscientists call attachment. And it's a big deal. The more we learn about how our brains were designed and wired by God for community, the Bible kind of comes alive through a lens of neuroscience. And this word hased is a big deal. Because hased describes something that we find in the brain and in your Bible. Neuroscience, modern neuroscience, is conforming to biblical truth here. Who else cried when Wilson floated away? Did you feel that moment? Why? Because your brain, your brain is designed in such a way that you crave community, and over the hour and a half before he floats away, your heart connected with him. And you felt that moment. We're wired for this. Our brains draw life from our strongest relational attachments to grow our character and to develop our identity. Who we love shapes who we are. In character formation, this is the central task of our church, right? Our brains are designed to use our attachments to form our character. Wouldn't you agree you should expect to find the concept of attachment all over Scripture? Well, Hebrew scholars admit that it's difficult to capture the nuances of that word hesed with a single word in English we just don't think the way the ancient Hebrews did. So translators use several words usually in modern languages to describe that word. Lamentations chapter 3 verse 22 is a prime example, which we read in our ESV translation, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. The steadfast love, he has bonded himself to you like a good father over his kids. If you struggle with daddy issues, this fall is going to be powerful for you. We're going to try to redeem that brokenness in your life. Now let God redeem that as we unpack what a good heavenly father is, who he is, and how he's designed you to live in right relationship with him. Your steadfast love God has for you. Other places in Scripture, in the NIV, it's translated, instead of steadfast love, it's translated great love. The NET uses the phrase loyal kindness. The, NS, or the NASB, they actually created a word, kind of squished two words together, loving kindness. Not loving space kindness, but loving kindness. The King, King James Version uses the word mercies. The NLT uses faithful love. And here's the deal. In, uh, through a lens of neurochemistry, neuroscience, um, attachment is the strongest force in the human brain. The book that I read put it this way. Our primary identity and the apex of the neurological control structure of the brain is a relational one. And then the book got into some uh, physiology. Maybe it's been a while since you've taken that class and studied the lobes of the brain. But um, if I could use Wilson here as an example. 
The book spent a lot of time talking about the prefrontal cortex, this part of the brain, this region right up here. This is where complex emotions and complex thinking, complex uh, functioning happens on this end. The brain stem down here is more primal. This is your flight or flight part of the brain. But we seek to live up here. And the Bible spends a lot of time talking about how uh, one-sixth of the brain that we discover in this book is uh, configured with neurological circuits. And get this, they represent three faces that engage with one another. Remember, we were designed by and for community, a triune God. Even our brains reflect this. And here's the thing, infant brains... As babies are cooed over, as mamas rock your babies, dads coo over your babies, because for those first three years of life, we learn to trust another person. We become attached, and when this doesn't happen, it can have profound impact even for the rest of our lives. If God's attachments are hesed, what happens when a baby does not have this joyful triangle that happens here? Well, they get stunted, and it profoundly affects their development. And a similar dynamic happens inside the church. If we don't live in healthy relationship one to another, it affects the way we view our Christian life. It affects the way we view the church. It affects the way, get this, we view our God. This fall, we want to lean into this idea and we want to redeem some of our previous experiences. There's a model from the church history. The Enlightenment kind of brought this to the forefront, influenced our churches. Here's the traditional model, if I can put that up on the screen. Transformation following Jesus, this happens when truth, just preach the truth, preacher, right? Plus good choices, we make wise decisions based on the truth we know. Well, this gives us power through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit infects that truth and good choices moving forward. When this happens, transformation happens. The author of this book would propose a different model. This is what he said, instead of truth, lean more into hesed, attachment. Loving relationship from a loving Heavenly Father, which informs loving relationships inside of the church family. That, plus good choices, plus Holy Spirit power, that's really where transformation takes place. I believe that. Because attachment is a big deal. My wife and I stepped into the adoption community years ago. We adopted four of our five kids. And if you've spent any time around adoption circles, attachment is a big deal. One of our boys was diagnosed with reactive attachment disorder when he was little. And here in a minute, I'm going to tell you more about that. But Jesus emphasizes the role of attachment. By the way, that Old Testament word has said it becomes the word agapao or agape in the New Testament. He addresses that in the role of discipleship in John chapter 14. Look here, let's read this together, where he says, Anyone who loves, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. And then he repeats this, except he puts a negative slant on it. He's really trying to get our point. He says, Anyone who does not 
love me, will not obey my teaching. In order to fulfill the Great Commission, both scripture and brain science emphasize that we must start by building joyful said attachments. Love is mentioned in the New Testament 348 times. Agape, which comes from this old Hebrew word, has said it's the dominant feature, get this, in a community living that God wants to use to push his kingdom forward. Jesus came to establish a Hesed community on earth. And it starts when God forms a Hesed bond with us in Christ. Get this, John writes this, 1 John chapter 3, See what great love the Father lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. And then in John chapter 15, Jesus takes this and he teases this out. This is his gathering of his disciples together in the upper room. And he talks about love and he talks about where he wants them to go from there after he dies and ascends into heaven. He says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, then you're going to bear much fruit. You talk about attachment, a vine and a branch, that's a pretty good symbol of attachment. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Skip down to verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain, remain, has said, stay in my love. Attach, graft yourself into the truth of who I am. If we skip down to verse 12, he lands at the plane by saying, command, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. So I am in a Hesed relationship with you. Now I want you to be in a Hesed, loving, attached relationship one with another. That's a big deal. Our loving attachments to our Father and Jesus and to each other give us the clearest experience of the unseen God. Here's a profound quote from that book that I read. I love this. It says, without love, the Christian life collapses and ceases to be Christian. Without love, what we're doing, it just ain't going to work. Paul expounds on the familial nature of our bond with God in Romans chapter 8. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Hesed, prefrontal cortex, fear, the amygdala, the brain stem. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Our Hesed attachment with God converts us from fearful slaves to delighted children. This is what he wants. Attachment is a big deal. I talked about reactive attachment disorder a bit ago. And I'll never forget the, rela- the, the conversation. We, we, we did a two-week intensive with one of our boys when he was tiny. He wasn't rocked. He wasn't held. He wasn't connecting with other humans when he was little. This part didn't get developed so much. This expert in attachment, probably one of the, the premier experts in, in our state. We were, we were over in Avon on the west side of our city. And I'm in his office. We'd spent two weeks together. And we'd been doing this attachment intense therapy. And at the end, he talked about, he talked about this, this thing I just shared with you. That this reasoning that's happening up here, loving relationships, it can't happen when we're stuck down in the flight, fight or flight part of the brainstem. He said, if you're stuck down here, you're just constantly living in fear, afraid for the other shoe to drop because you haven't attached in a meaningful way to other people. I said, well, Doc, I, I, I get it. I think I, I, think I understand. I'm, I'm, I'm no, no, no expert here, but I, I, I think I get that. But what, what do we do about that? 
And he quotes a passage of scripture that comes straight out of the passage we just read. Let's look at that right now. 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. There's no fear in love, in said. But perfect love drives out fear. This is what Jesus does for us on the cross, and this is what you and I are called to do for one another in Christian community. Perfect love drives out fear. Venture home where we seek Jesus and we see you. A helpful exercise is to replace the word love with maybe a deeper concept of what's happening here. So 1 John chapter 4, verse 11 says this, that same passage we're looking at, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Look at this paraphrase. This will tease it out just a little bit more. Dear friends, since God has joyfully attached himself so firmly to us, we also ought to attach ourselves to each other as family members. That's the positive way to say it. I'm going to give you a great opportunity for an action step here in just a moment, but real quick, can I offer you a caution? At the end of your Bible, in Revelation, Jesus, through his, the Spirit of God, speaks directly to seven churches. Some of them are killing it, and some of them, well, they're dying. And he speaks directly a word to the Ephesians, and I think we can see some attachment language there. This church in Ephesus, Revelation chapter 2, he says this, I know your deeds. And these are good things, look at this. I know what you're doing, your hard work, your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people. This is good, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. I know what you're doing. It's good stuff. You've persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. This is all good, but get this. A few weeks ago, Pastor David preached, and he said, be on your guard for butts in Scripture. Here it is. It's taken another word. Yet, check this out, yet... But, however, uh-oh, this isn't good. I hold this against you. You've forsaken the love, has said, attached relationships that you had at first. Consider how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. He goes on and says, if you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. What's that? Well, remember, back at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, you're the light of the world. A city on a hill can't be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and stick it under a bowl. No, no, no. They put it on a lampstand so that the whole world can be seen by it. He said, here's the deal. You're not loving well. I don't want your light to be shown to the world. I'm going to take that lampstand away. This is a profound problem. I do not want to be that church. Here's why. They stopped acting like a family and started functioning like an institution. They stopped functioning like a loving family and bonded loving relationships, one to another and to their God, and they started thinking more institutional. That's a profound problem. If you've been tracking along the last few weeks, you'll notice that we've redone our mission statement, our vision statement, our core values as a church. Look for the relational language as I put these back up on the screen right now. Our mission statement, we want to be real people. Authentic, living in community kind of people. Loving courageously, sharing generously, speaking truthfully. Do you see the family relationship there? Here's our vision statement. Venture home. 
come home into a warm environment where we can bond well one with another, where we can live in community where, well, where we seek Jesus and we see you. We see you. We see you. Your hurts, your habits, your hang-ups, your loneliness. We want to live in community together to see one another well. Our core values. Biblical authority, prayerful dependence on God, continued spiritual growth, outward-focused impact. Let's highlight, bold, that bottom one. Genuine hospitality. We're getting the opportunity to step into a season right now as a church. Here's our third simple truth. It's this one. If you're taking notes, write this down. Hased happens best in smaller groups. Hased, bonding, attached relationships happen best in smaller groups. Would you grab that card and pull it out right now? The one that Evan invited you to start on the front end. If you're joining us online, we're going to put that QR code back up again. And you can scan that and jump right back in where you started. Go ahead and grab that. There's a pen laying down there. If you don't have one of these, if you can maybe snuck into the service a little bit late, I don't mean to call you out, but just stick your hand up in the air right now. If you need one of these, we've got ushers that would love to bring you one. And you've already filled out the white part of the information there. That's great. Some of this is self-explanatory. Let's go ahead and put it up on the screen here so I can walk along with this uh, with you. The front side of this card, it's got a section there that talks about children and uh, if you want to just list your children's names there, I don't need to coach you through that. You know who they are. You really know who they are. If you had the week that I had this past week, you really know who they are. And then go ahead and cross out the evenings that you are not available to meet. So we're calling you to step into a weekly. Here's the deal. It's six weeks. It's a six-week commitment. This is not signing up to serve in the nursery until you die, Right? This is saying, listen, I'll be a part of a community experience where I'm going to live together in community with some other believers, and we're going to study God's word together, and we're going to grow a little bit, and we're going to challenge one another. We're going to do it for six weeks. That's your commitment, starting September 12th. So I want you to think about your calendar, and I want you to cross out when you're not available to meet. In other words, give us as many options as we have, or we can, because we want to take the opportunity to put as many of you together into a group for the next six weeks as we can. Let's flip the card over, look at the backside. Here's the deal. Small groups will meet once a week for six consecutive weeks, and you can check the box. My current small group, we're already planning to do this. Just go ahead and give us your group leader's name that you're already connected. That's great. You really don't have to have to fill out the rest of the card if I just described you. If you're not in a small group, go ahead and give us your age. We're trying to connect people like with like and like-minded people so you can connect well together. Go ahead and give us that. And then give us kind of an idea. Would you prefer to be in a couples group or a men's group or a women's group? Just, just Circle what looks good to you. And then go ahead and circle everything up there at the top right-hand corner that applies to you. Please go ahead and do this. Are you single? Kind of where you are in your stage of life? Or we're a, a parent of, man, we used to be parent of elementary. Now we're parent of teens. We're knocking on the door of empty nester. If needed, I'll be willing to host a small group in my home or campus or here on campus. If you're willing to do that, we would love to have you do that. Go ahead and check that box. And then last but not least, and I hope very few of you check this box. But if you look at the calendar and you're like, I, I just know I can't do this, go ahead and let us know and we won't bug you. 
But I hope very few of you check that box. I'm hoping the lion's share of us step into this six-week growth journey, growth experience together. We'll join together on the weekends. We'll talk, be talking about this content. We'll do some work on our own in this journal, and then we're going to get together in our small groups, and we're going to encourage one another. We're going to do hesed together. There's a, a song there's a song. How many of you are country western fans? Are you willing to admit that? You've heard the old joke, asked an old man, what's your favorite kind of music? He said, both kind, country and western. <laughs> How many of you know Toby Keith? You know who this is? The angry American? Yeah. Toby Keith wrote a song. Well, he didn't write it. He performed it years ago. It's called I Love This Bar. Is, uh, is the pastor going to talk about a bar? At church? Yep. Look at the community that takes place at this bar. Again, in the absence of authentic community, we'll create it, right? We got cowboys, we got truckers, brokenhearted fools and suckers, we got hustlers, we got fighters, early birds, and all nighters. We got them all. And the veterans talk about their battle scars. Mmm. I love this bar. I love this bar. It's my kind of place. Just walking through the front door puts a big smile on my face. It ain't too far. Come as you are. And I'm tempted to sing it, but I'm not gonna. (laughs) I love this bar. Here's what I learned this past week. That song was written by, not Toby Keith, but a songwriter, I think in Nashville. And it was originally written, get this, I love this church. And they went to record it, and Toby Keith looked at it and said, no, I've never been to a church like that. That doesn't exist. That kind of familial connection, that kind of hesed love, I've never seen that before in a church. No, 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 I see that. I see that at the bar on Friday night, Saturday night. Venture. Venture Christian Church, can we be the kind of Hesed church? People write a song about us. That's a church where you're welcome, just as you are. That's a church that's not afraid to roll up their sleeves and life gets a little bit messy. We'll get into the mess with you. We'll love you well. We'll bond, we'll attach well in loving relationships. Would you stand up with me right now? We're going to cement this idea as we sing together, as we worship our God together. By the way, as you finish this, as you fill this out, I'm going to invite you, even during the song time while we're singing, just pass it right down the row. Just walk it over to the next person you see and keep passing it this way, and we've got ushers on this side of the room that will pick these up even while we're singing. And what I'm going to encourage you to do is as we do that, make this a spiritual exercise. Let's pray over this. Let's pray that God does some amazing things in and through our church this fall as we seek to step into and live into a hesed kind of love. Would you bow your heads with me right now? Let's pray. God, we love you. We worship you. And to prove that to you right now, we want to sing from the bottom of our hearts to you, our God, and just tell you that we love you. And we're grateful for the kind of love that you have for us, that you hased us to death, that you love us with relational attachment. You draw us deeper into your family, the family of God. We love you, Jesus. Lord, we pray over these cards. 
We pray over the community that will happen together in our church this fall. Lord, as we think about the invite cards that we're going to get here in a few minutes, who can you put on our hearts and on our minds to invite into these kind of loving relationships? Who can we invest in? Who can we invite to be a part of what you're doing here in our church? And God, use these groups. Use our lifetime, our time spent together this fall to grow us deeper in relationship with you and grow us deeper in relationship one to another. And it's in your name. In Jesus' name we pray.